Hey, yo, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the role podcast presented by DJ City and Beat Source. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We have DJ Never. Yo, what's up? We got DJ D-Miles. What's good, what's good? We got Jamie the Great. Yeah, what up? And yo, today I'm really excited. We have a um, very special guest. Like, it's, it's actually like very rare nowadays for me to actually fall in love with anything or obsess about anything, right? But I, I'm sure you've heard us rave about the um, this docu-series on FX and Hulu called Hip Hop Uncovered. It debuted in February. I mean, we basically almost devoted a whole episode to it. And we're about mm-hmm. to devote yeah. another episode to it again. <laughs> yeah. Now, keep it I, going. We're going to keep it going. So if you haven't heard about this this docu-series, you have to see it if you haven't seen it. If you love hip hop, if you know, if hip hop has been a part of your life, you have to see this. It's one of the first docu-series that shows like an in-depth like inside look inside like the underworld you know of hip-hop you know like the streets it's it's really capturing how the streets have influenced hip-hop and vice versa and they speak to these ogs and um it's you get to see the beginning from the 80s and the crack uh crack epidemic and how it evolves for these guys and and how they move they go to jail they come out and become key figures in the music industry and they influence all, all throughout their lives. They're influencing hip hop culture, though things that you would never have believed. We're really pleased to have the director, writer, producer Rashidi Harper here. We have the cinematographer Robert Benavides here. Thank you guys for coming through, man. man. I appreciate it. Yo, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank man. you, fellas. Thank Thanks you for man. having us, man. Yeah, thank it, you. Yeah. I've been talking with Rob, and I, I got to give a shout to uh, Mighty Rel, who's a yeah. who's a DJ, and he's a and is a the homie of the podcast. He's a loyal listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mighty Rail. Mighty Rail. Yeah. Rail. <laughs> Mighty Rail. Thanks he, for hooking he, up. Yeah, he linked uh Rob and, and me together and, and we've been talking about this since mid March, but I'm I'm glad to have you guys on finally, man. So I mean we have so many questions, but I, I guess the main one we I, I want to ask, and I want to kind of give the listeners some background, right? I want to know about, you know, how this all started. But I also want to talk about the central characters of this docu-series, which is like five individuals, five OGs, right? Which is Big U from the Rolling uh, Rolling 60 Crips in L.A., right? Yep. And you have uh, Deb Atney and her brother Bimmy uh, from the Supreme Team in Queens, New York. And then you have Haitian Jack from Brooklyn and Trick Trick from the Goon Squad in Detroit. Now, you have all these five OGs. You know, uh, I guess I, we, we, we all really want to know where did it start? Like, where, from concept to production, where did it start? I saw that Big U um, was an executive producer, so I, I've got, I, you know, I've got to imagine that he had his hand in, in kind of helping put some of this together with you guys. But, you know, I, I'm curious to know, like, you know, where this all started? Was this something that was in in your mind for like, you know, the past 10, 15 years, or and then finally got an opportunity to put this all together? You know. It all started with uh, our executive producing partner, Jimmy, Jim Bob, Chris, Mm -hmm. and he's from Campanella Park in Compton. And he Mm -hmm. had this idea of, um, you know, sort of looking at the behind the scenes of hip hop, but he also had an agenda because he's very, very close with a guy named Big Jake Robles, who was in Death Row and ran with Suge and that whole thing. And I think Jim really wanted to tell his story. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. was trying to figure out how he could pay homage to his his boy that um, died in Atlanta in 95, I believe it was. And he was just 
having an idea of like trying to like connect these dots. And he went to Big U and they sort of talked and figured out like, oh, okay, like I could get, I could get all the people on this side, on the, on the red side, Big U can get all the people on the blue side. And, you know, we wow. can sort of delve into this story, right? And then they both went to, Jimmy is very good friends with Malcolm Spellman and Malcolm Spellman is a super respected screenwriter and showrunner in Hollywood. Right. And he's, uh, if you haven't seen his new series, he's got a new series out on uh, Disney Plus called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. He's the he's the showrunner of that show. Like, that's his baby, right? And he uh, was a screenwriter on Empire, too, right? He also was, a, yeah, yeah he, was, he wrote on Empire and was mm-hmm. a co, co, uh, co-EP on that show. Right. And um, they went to Malcolm and said hey we we want to do this idea basically malcolm is so great at figuring out the elements that can tell a great story Mm -hmm. you know and so they started working and then they brought in doug and then they brought in me because we needed to sort of make something that we could use as a pitch reel or a sizzle reel and try to sell the idea so this all started in 2016 and it took forever, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just took forever. I imagine. It was like, I mean, I'm really proud of it because if any of you, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all, if you're creative, you've set out on different endeavors and things don't always go as planned, yeah. you know what I mean? And we had a lot of that. <laughs> we yeah. had a lot of things not going as planned, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like when, when it initially started and you were signed up for the project, right? And you, had, and you had to put it together, a sizzle reel, or you had to put some type of proposal together, right? Some visuals for this. I heard in an interview that your first day of shooting was unfortunately the day Nipsey passed away when he got murdered. And I wanted to ask, like, you know, I, I, and I remember in the interview you were saying, like, I felt uncomfortable. Like, should I be capturing this shit? Like, I don't want to be like, a, I, you said your words, I like, I don't want to be a vulture. Like, I'm trying to, like, you know, take advantage of motherfuckers like filming all of this shit. And, you know, this horrific death just happened that affected a whole community and the whole culture. You know what I'm saying? So so the sizzle reel was one thing that was done back in the day. And then we finally sold the series to FX. Mm. And once we sold the series to FX and they greenlit it, um, I don't think they had given the production company. We work with a great company called Lightbox uh, to, to produce the film with us. And they didn't have, you know, the the deal wasn't all the way done when Nipsey died, you know? Mm -hmm. And as far as the vulture thing, man, it's like, you know, bro, I'm a part of this community. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I have been since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. Like I'm I'm a person that's in love with hip hop, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, this was a personal project in that I've had the opportunity to, to tell a story from an insider's point of view without um too much interference which is rare you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when nipsey died it was just it sucked right because i mean we all know what a what a what potential he had what by what he already was doing and the day we decide basically yeah i was i was concerned about big U. you know what i mean i know how big U felt about nipsey i was concerned about jumping in too soon you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But but at the same time, I knew that we all we were going to interview Nipsey. You know what I mean? So he was always a part of this project mm-hmm. as far as we were concerned. 
And when he died, it was just devastating. That's all I could really say. It was really devastating. I, I, I never got to meet him, but I was a big fan of everything that he was doing and what he was about. And so, yeah, we, we spoke to Big U. I gave him maybe a couple of days before I reached out to him and just asked him, you know, how he was feeling. And he was like, yo, man, let's get these cameras going. We should be, right. we should be shooting, you know? And, and once he said that and he was comfortable, then I felt a lot better about it, you know? Um, and it happened to coincide with, uh, at the time they were putting a, um, the memorial together and, you know, that involves a lot of different people to, for, for different sets to be able to come to Crenshaw and Slauson and pay their respects to Nipsey. There probably were 10 or 15 OGs that it had to go through. And a lot of people that worked be be behind the scenes, in addition to Big U, to really make that thing happen. So the project was not officially greenlit, but you were like, yo, let's get these cameras and let's start filming or how, like, it, how, how it, was that pretty much it? it? Was, the project was greenlit. Okay. It just wasn't funded. It wasn't funded yet. Like, oh. I don't think, I don't think any money had been exchanged yet. And, and hats off to Lightbox for saying, well, we, we got you, we, you know, okay, we'll, yeah. let's just get it going because they recognize the moment as well. Right. Well, I was going to ask how, how involved were you going to have Nipsey in the project? And then did you guys have to do any like major derailing or tweaking with, with the project, with his absence? I think the main thing we were going to do with Nipsey was just a, a main interview in the same way that we interviewed Snoop and Dre and, you know, Ice-T and all of the wonderful people that gave us their time, you know, uh, Royce to five nine, you know, all the MCs that are related and have relationships with the OGs in our series, you know, that was always the idea. So it wasn't really much more than that, but it was when you're selling something, you have to always consider the buyer and what they place value on. And one of the reasons why the show was so hard to sell was because we didn't really come in the door talking about Dr. Dre and Snoop and all those people. We did That's not what the series was about. We right. always knew that we would include them, but it wasn't from their perspective, you know? So even with Nipsey, we wanted to put him more in the forefront, but at the time we were pitching, I mean, only people that know hip hop, this was pre-Victory Lap, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. so only people that really knew him would know and, and people at these networks, they don't necessarily place the same kind of value or love on, on the artists that we do because right. we, you know, we know them and we love them and we know the culture. So mm -hmm. I, I was going to ask about the same thing because to start filming at such a defining moment in hip hop history, recent hip hop history, I'm, I was wondering if it affected maybe the weight of what you guys were doing, but also affected direction that you guys were moving no that's a really good point i think um what wound up happening was because for us emotionally like myself and rob i mean like you know we we shot the memorial and we shot on the day that um the the funeral procession happened that's such a big heavy moment right that none of us will ever forget and so i think in my mind i always thought that was going to be in the first episode for a while, we had versions where it started the first episode and all this stuff. And, and, and we really were trying to find a balance between telling Big U's story and connecting it with Nipsey's story mm -hmm. in a way that didn't feel exploitive. Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like Big U has his own story outside of Nipsey, obviously. I mean, people know that now, right? 
But at the time, Nipsey, because of who he was and because of everything that happened around his death, it could have looked like or came off like we were exploiting his death. And we definitely didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like nothing about what we're doing um, involves exploitation. Like that's just not where we were coming from. And so because it was such an emotional moment, we always thought it would just start early. And then, you know, as things happen, you know, you you try different edits. I mean, it took us forever to cut that first episode. I mean, for fucking ever, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't get it right. You know what I mean? And finally, I think we became less attached to the Nipsey of it all yeah. and, uh, and, and, and the emotion of that moment. And we just put it to the side and focused more on our characters. And mm -hmm. once we did that, everything started falling into place. And then as you see, you know, the Nipsey service and everything doesn't come until like into full effect until episode six at the end you know what i mean mm, yeah and yeah. that seemed to make sense for how we were moving i think i think that was perfect the way you guys kind of ended it with that it was a good treat not to say that the situation was a good treat but it was a good way to end it because it all came full circle and, and it was great overall mm -hmm. to end it with the nipsey hustle part because it was kind of the latest thing that just had happened I mean, the the series was a masterpiece, and I think it's got to be up there, I don't know, for me in any kind of, like, anything in hip-hop, any project, you know, documenting hip-hop, it's got to be up there in, like, my top ten because I feel like this, this docu-series has been something I've been wanting to see I mean, for the can last... can we get top five, though? We can't get top five. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely top five. <laughs> Yeah, top five for I'm sure, not, my brother. Yeah, yeah, my top, yeah, it's in my top five. I wanted to say top five, but I wanna say I'm gonna say top five. It is it's it's just it's to me it's a real masterpiece because I've been wanting something like this for like the past twenty five years. And then when you were in that interview, Rashidi, I was thinking about Rob, like you and Rashidi talked about wanting a lot of the interviews to be at night because of a lot of the underworld and the street life was at night. So all of this thought process into filming and and here you are, you guys are like kind of rushing to capture this historical moment, you know? I'll say two things about that. Just going, it was a trip. Uh, going back to the whole Nipsey thing, one of the things that we learned, and especially me, I mean, I grew up in Chicago. I, you know, I grew up around street cats and stuff like that. I'm not, you know, like, and, but it was a trip, man, to start out with that thing with Nipsey because as we did the series, more people that were affiliated with other people passed away or got right. killed, you know what I mean? And it's a real big eye opener, man, to really see like in, like in the black and brown community, like, I mean, man, Asian, every, you know what I'm saying? Like this shit happens a lot, dude. And yeah. I think enough people know that. So anyways, not to be a Debbie Downer, but I thought that that was a real, being involved with the project got me closer to that. You know what I mean? Well, to, especially, to especially Chicago. It's like, it's a war yeah. going out there in Chicago. Definitely. It's crazy right yeah. now. Yeah. But I'll say, I'll speak on, on what you were asking, bro, was, was basically like, you know, Rashidi and I have known each other for a while and yeah. we know each other's aesthetic. I certainly know Rashidi's aesthetic. You know, he's like a very visual director. And we just knew at the end of the day, like we were not trying to make reality TV, no disrespect to reality TV, but we were definitely not, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't come from that school of like, just shoot it, just shoot it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just make beats to just, you know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. we're creators. So, and in the hip hop world, we want to like all the other people elevate it. You know what I mean? So right. it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, that was the mandate. But to answer your question in that chaos, I've done enough documentary stuff where I know like you need those pieces, you know, and, and, and you need to hold on things for a long time. So it was a lot of practice of that. 
knowing that we're always going to have the interviews to be the anchor and the spine through the piece, you could do whatever you want with the visuals as long as you, you know, but mm -hmm. it's a, it's a great question. Like I, if you remember Rashidi, we had two cameras that day and one of the guys, you know, was very chaotic at that when we were out on the street, you know, on, on right by his store and no one's going to stop for us. You know, life keeps moving, you know, and I saw the other dude and I was like, I just went in and I took over, like, you know, we were going to do, we just had to do it because the, they started moving. You know what I mean? So that's one thing is, you know, what I tell younger filmmakers coming up, you got your eye in the eyepiece and keep one eye out. You know, it's like a sniper. You got to be looking around, especially with the streets. You never know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. But it was yeah. a good lesson in that. I was wondering, like, how many cameras you guys had, you know, on on, on site for, for something like that, you know? Usually we had two cameras mm -hmm. um, with us. In the end, in the edit, sometimes we would license footage because obviously there were a lot of people covering right. what was going on. So we'd license a few things from uh, one, one, one guy, um, one company, Dina Drones, our boy Rodrigo, like he helped us with some great shots. He, 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 he's the one that had the, the shots of the Nipsey billboards all around the city, like yeah. on, the, on, the, on the drone, like. He really killed it, killed it and saved us a lot, you know, because there, first of all, there's five different characters. So there's five different stories that have to be told. And you're really trying to focus in on that and tell and, and figure out what the formula is and capturing those stories. So we weren't able to really lock in and be like, oh, well, we're going to need these shots of Nipsey, too. And we're going to need to do, like so much was happening all at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're really thankful to be able to use archives and people like Rodrigo to help um, tell the story. I wanted to talk about capturing all, all the footage because I, I was really curious to, to know in a six part series, how much footage you guys had and how many opportunities you had to be, to put things together and be like, nah, we got to go back to Bimmy. We got to go back to Deb. We got to go back to big U. I'm sure big U wasn't a problem maybe because he's in the, you know, California, LA vicinity, but like you guys had like what like two three days with Haitian Jack. I mean I don't even know how you guys got Haitian Jack. Like we were we were yeah. all talking for about real, that shit for real. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> like that was that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that yeah. was one, yeah, that was yeah. the selling point to me. I was like, Jackie's on this. I'm yeah. watching this for sure. I mean, it's 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 great. I'm glad you guys point Jack out in particular because yeah. um, he's such a mysterious figure in hip hop. Right, yeah. all hip hop heads yeah. heard that name. And they have no idea who the guy is, and 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 there's such there's this great mystique to him, right? Yeah. And I remember before we started shooting, and we were still trying to like just line everything up. We we were in a meeting, and I remember when Big U got Jack on the phone, hmm. and then he gave me the phone, and I'm talking on the phone <laughs> to Jack, and I was like trying to I was engaged in the conversation but at the same time in my head I was like I'm really on the fucking phone with Haitian <laughs> this is crazy so for, you know what I mean so for wait and, I, and, really quick for our listeners who don't know anything about Haitian Jack you know the the rumor or the the shit that's on the street or that everyone talks about is Haitian Jack was responsible for Tupac's first shooting right in the studio the in New Quad York. Studios the Quad that's Studios the in New York yeah that's the rumor and what you find out in the doc is um, basically his version of the story, his response to the to the rumor. Like, he's a real street dude. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and street dudes ain't really talking, right? But like, here we are, 25, 26 years later, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I really can't thank him enough for deciding to open up for us and really everyone yeah. on the series. And what it was, was it was 
you know, you have to really understand that these people really are who they say they are. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> of course, you know, there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of people that say they're something and they're not really that thing. But these people are all exactly what they say they are. And because of that, um, I think they understood the power of having them all together. And, 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 and if I'm real with you, the sixth person was Jay Prince. Mm. We always had Jay mm. Prince. I flew to Houston. I got to meet him. You know, Big U introduced me to him. We hung out for the day. And that was a whole wild experience just watching this man move through the Fifth Ward and his city. And, you know, just it, just an amazing experience. But it didn't really work out for the series that he could participate with us, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But he was definitely a gentleman and someone on our on our list. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so mm -hmm. I say all that to say um, they were all inspired by each other. Like like how I got in touch with Bimmy was I, I had been in touch with LL Cool J and and I called him because I knew he knew Bimmy and I asked him if I could get his number and he hooked us up together. When I spoke to Bimmy, he got his sister on the phone and I remember talking to Deb and just being like, hey, so this is what it is. This is, you know, we got Big U, Trick Trick, and and Jay Prince, and you and your brother. And she was like, I'm fucking in immediately. Mm, right. You know, because mm. there's a mutual, a mutual respect, and they all understood, shit, nobody, nobody's even thinking about telling their stories together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe individually, yeah. you know what I mean? But together no one was thinking about that and we were just very fortunate i mean hats off to jimmy chris and malcolm spellman uh and big u for like really putting that that team together so was yeah. that that was the original that was the original six that you guys wanted like without oh, it wasn't like oh let's switch this person around or anything you wanted that that six it was always those six mm -hmm. you know it was always those six because we knew in our in our opinions they were the most legit. They their stories went together, and it made the most sense for what we were trying to do. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. plenty of street legends, mm -hmm. you know what yeah. I'm saying? There's definitely of plenty of street legends, but these six to us sort of spoke to what we were trying to the story we were trying to tell, and they the the span of '79 to today. That's yeah. also what was important. The span of '79 to today was like a big thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I want to go back to Haitian Jack and I want to ask something because, you know, this is me. This is my opinion. Right. This is from me watching <laughs> the series. Right. I got like a really like chilling feeling watching him like I was watching a sociopath. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Like, yeah. because don't say nothing that's gonna get you in trouble, wait, man. Wait, no, no. <laughs> he's, he's still alive. He's still alive, Kirk. I'm not. I'm not. He's he still got, he still got people in the hey, streets, oh, man. Wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the phone. No, nah, he's doing, man. Nah, he's a good dude, bro. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's an inquisitive guy. Yo, I'm, I'm not going to DR anytime soon, so I'm gonna get us all in trouble. <laughs> I'm not no, going to see you. No, I don't know who this guy yeah. is. Shit, man. I'm a big fan of yours, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, wait. So, I got... So, so, yeah. I, the last time I had that feeling watching somebody like that was the Cocaine Cowboys documentary. I don't know if you remember that. And there was a hitman mm -hmm. for Griselda Blanco. 
right? I forgot his name. It was like Jorge, oh, I got it. Jorge Ayala, right? Uh-huh. And this dude smiled a lot in the camera, was really charismatic, but he there was an essence of him like he had no empathy or remorse for anything like a life, whether it was a child's life, a woman's life, anyone's life was just like, eh, you know, it is what it is. They're just they're just a number. And it was like and the thing is, they're so charismatic and we never see that other side because they're so good at hiding it or I don't know what what it is that they can kind of live life with like no accountability or like no you know what I'm saying like and and, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things when I was watching Haitian Jack I was like oh my god this guy like he's really charismatic and it's scary but I'm wondering if there was ever a slight instance or an incident while you were filming where you're like yo this, this motherfucker's a killer like, <laughs> like this motherfucker's ill as fuck like we have to like like just kind of get a little goosebumpy when he was speaking. I'm kidding, Rob. I'm, I'm not going to do that. To me. I'm, yeah, I'm, just, yeah, no. I'm kidding. Um, I, I would say that for us, right. um, Jack was nothing but a gentleman, right? Right. Um, we weren't. We didn't spend a whole lot of time with him. We were with him for like about five days, and while we were there for five days, we were just constantly shooting, not just him, but like just trying to capture the essence of the Dominican Republic. Right. To answer your question, there's definitely was a moment in the interview where he got extremely heated about Suge Knight. He felt really strongly that Suge basically put Tupac up to talking shit about him on a record. Right. Yeah, Machiavelli. Yeah. And and maybe if that was his instinct, he he never he maybe thought that, but how could you ever know that? But then one of his boys runs into Suge in the um in the airport and Suge sort of sends the message to him like, hey, tell you know, tell Jack I made him famous. And so Jack is like, well, what the fuck does that mean? I didn't ask to be famous. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And 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 that I guess confirmed it in his mind. So I I think when he talked about that, which didn't um, make it into the series, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he talked about that, yeah. he was very, he was, he was like, he was very passionate and seemed, you know, it was something that bothered him. You right. know what I mean? And in that moment, I probably was like, holy shit. Right. Right. You might ask, well, why isn't it in the series? You know, it's a it's a dance, right? When you're trying to tell a story and you're telling stories of real people's lives. Right. These are mm-hmm. real people with families and connections mm-hmm. and all of that. And one thing that we were very clear about when we were making it was we just wanted to be responsible filmmakers in that the slightest little thing could be said and then shit could happen in the street. And then it's like, that right. feels shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not about that. Rob's not about that. Nobody on our team is about that. Like, we're trying to tell authentic stories, but we're not trying to be messy. While mm-hmm. we understood, hey, man, that shit is electric. <laughs> there was another part of us that was like, well, fuck, is that responsible? Is that cool? Is that going to be a prop? You know what I mean? And, right. and you can tune into my site, harperville.com, when I revamp it, and I might have that up there. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even, even without having that portion in there, you could feel his energy, and you could feel his emotion when he was speaking of Suge and when he was speaking about Pac and how he really had love for Pac, and he felt like Suge completely just misguided 
Tupac in the direction of talking shit about him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it was sad because I, I was a youngster at that time. And I remember hearing, hearing Machiavelli and to us, like Haitian Jack was a ghost. Like no one knew who he was. No one knew, knew what he looked like. We were like, who is this dude? So to see him telling a story actually on the screen was just kind of like, is this real? You know what I mean? Like it was crazy, man. Just watching that shit was crazy. Finally, there's a vo- there's a visual of this dude that I've been hearing about forever. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then I, one of the things that I noticed, he didn't really confirm or deny about the Tupac shooting. His perspective is he didn't have shit to do with Quad Studio. That's what the the internet said the rumor said that he has something to do with it but his position is he didn't have anything to do with it but i'll I'll add like he's a very charismatic guy and when we went there you know it's a trip because i don't think like big you and bimmy hadn't seen him in a while so there was like two things happening it's like you're filming bigfoot basically you know like (laughs) (laughs) and then all these g's are you know reuniting and stuff but very charismatic guy but yeah in the back of your mind you're like something else is going on he's got a history you know he's he probably you know was a stick up what i mean but yeah sharp dresser and you know he took us to some cool places in the dr you know so big up Haitian jack yeah did you guys feel in danger at any point of this did you guys feel like your life was in danger recording Uh, during the series are you talking about are you talking about in the series are you talking about with jack i mean the series in the series yeah both Look, um, <laughs> I, so I'll say I'll say with Jack, I felt and and Rob, you could back me up on this. I felt very well taken care of. You know, he had great people around him. He knew what we were there for, and he just really tried to help us get the vision. And and mm-hmm. in terms of the series, um, there was one interview we did in Atlanta. We were interviewing Bear. Um, he's wearing a Dodger hat in the in, in Atlanta, out in front of the tattoo that tattoo spot and you know rob and i are very very into what we do for a living you know what i mean like we're like we're really in the moment we really care about craft we really are trying to just make something special every time we show up on a set right and so we were like i was doing an interview and i was like super into what we were talking about and all of a sudden people started disappearing in the background and then like maybe guns came out and people and then like bear like looked off like this and then I, and th- when he looked off that's when i was like oh shit wait what's going on i turned around and everybody was gone and i mean i'm saying motherfuckers had that shit like you know <laughs> like they carry guns in in georgia you know what i mean yeah, like and they they we were in a strip mall and they just headed towards the street i think we were on international if i'm not mistaken um Man, I didn't know what was going on. I talked to my producers. They was like, yo, we need to like chill for a minute. I don't know what happened, but that's probably if that's the <laughs> moment that I think about where I was like, oh, shit, I'm in danger. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's wow. But usually it would be the opposite because we were with these people. So we were right. always, you know, yeah. There, but but that was a case where for sure we were like uh, we were on the street, you know what right. I mean? And you. You can't you can't have eyes everywhere. But yeah, literally one of I think it was Obi, one of the producers was like, that guy just walked by with a machine gun. Small <laughs> 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 like a Mac ten or something. He just casually walked by, you know. So, th- so there was no security on the set. It was just you guys. I mean, they were security, right? Whoever you guys were with. I mean, if now that you say that, that that probably is the safest people to be with yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You announce yourself to the neighborhood and you're with people. So, you know, when you go yeah. to Southside when you're in Queens with Bimmy, you're with Bimmy. You know yeah. what I mean? When you go yeah. to 
wherever with Big U, you know what I mean? And those tentacles fucking stretch, man. Yeah. 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 But it wasn't like an official security type thing. I, I think maybe yeah. in Detroit, I think we had a guy. I remember, do you remember that guy? Um, I was a guy in Detroit that was strapped and he was with us yeah. all the time. Um, that's a trick, trick. I don't know that him. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Why, why in Detroit, though? Why in Detroit? It's just, it's everybody, it's, it wasn't us. It was however each person decided to take care of us and the situation. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was where we were going on a particular day. Like, right. you know what I mean? So yeah. we always felt taken care of, man. Like, yeah. it, it, it never felt yeah. like, oh, shit, my life is in danger. It felt yeah. like we were with our family and we were just shooting and trying to make some great shit, you know? Yeah. 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 I had a question, Rashidi. So with everyone involved, with all the characters involved, was there ever a moment where you had to not necessarily convince them, but just have them maybe be a little more open with their story? Because, you know, growing up in L.A., like street code is real. You know what I'm saying? And that's not something that a lot of these dudes and women are eager to talk about. So was it just a flowy kind of situation where they were just willing to tell the story? Or did you have to like kind of like engage with them to get it out of them? It, um, it was a process to get everyone's trust and every single person was different the per the, the two people who come to mind the most were our, our big you and deb deb definitely had a hard time really telling us everything i i would say like in my recollection it felt like it wasn't until my last interview with her in atlanta when she was driving around the city that she finally like just really started to let shit all the way out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a similar thing with Big U, you know? I mean, you got, <laughs> this is what it's like, I'm very proud and we're all very proud of what we made, right? And and mm-hmm. you guys are seeing what you saw and it's amazing, right? Yeah. But Big U had so many stories that we didn't get in and so many stories that you know, he would maybe tell me off to the side when the cameras weren't rolling. I'd be like, yo, why are you telling me this now? Like, can we, and he'd be like, ah, nah, you know, homie, da, da, da. you know what I mean? So that type of thing was the juggle. But I feel like what they did was they told enough of us to get the idea. We mm-hmm. all get the fucking idea. Mm-hmm. We don't need right. every single detail. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. get the idea. And, and if you don't get the idea, ask around, you know, everybody's, certified yeah. yeah you know what i mean everybody's certified just go to the city and ask that was the other thing being in detroit and asking somebody if they knew trick trick and they'd be like yeah hell yeah i know trick trick i just was randomly i was like at the airport or some shit yeah. <laughs> you know trick trick yeah i know trick trick i was like damn okay <laughs> I, I even i even used trick nick's name to get into a bar that was about to close you know what i mean oh, really <laughs> and i just they were like hey man we're closed and i was like oh, all right man i was like well you know they're like it's gonna close in 20 minutes i was like yeah, you know, I'm I'm here with Trick Trick, and they're like, "Oh, okay, come on in." You know, like it was yeah. uh, <laughs> advantage of that. It's <laughs> cool. TSA and then Trick Trick. I know, right. abusing the power, yo, abusing the power right yeah. there <laughs> to get a to get a last drink in the last twenty minutes. I want to go back to Big Deb and uh, I mean Big Big U and and Deb because I I feel like you know we spoke about Haitian Jack and. And I feel like Deb always came from a place of love. Like everything that she did, 
I felt, and maybe I misinterpreted, but I interpreted that everything came from love and survival, right? Even when she had to take a, uh, like take over her father's heroin business, she had to take care of her family, right? Yeah. And she had to like, even when she was in music, it was like taking care of friends, taking care of homies, taking care of the community. And even when she was doing uh, like social work and and at the in doing community service, she she really kind of uh, identified with that. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's always what she had to go through, and she was kind of forced into this world, and and whatnot. I was wondering when she was speaking with you, was this kind of like therapeutic for her? You know what I'm saying? Like, was this maybe the first time she had to kind of you know, for example, there's a person we want to interview from New York has a has a lot of history in the New York nightlife. And she doesn't want to come on the show because she's like, I don't want to talk about the past because I don't know how I'm going to react when I start talking about the shit. If I'm going to lose and start getting angry again. And she's like, I'm in, I'm in a place of peace and I don't want to go down that road until I'm ready and I'm wondering if Deb was kind of in that place because, you know, I, I, she did not seem like a sociopath to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like she seemed like everything came from love and she was it had good intentions, but it was like all everything was survival. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, one 100 percent. I think um, um, for Deb, it was definitely challenging in that really it was just it's trauma. Right. That's right. basically what we're talking about. We're talking about an extreme amount of trauma. And when those memories come back and when you start talking about things, you start feeling those emotions. And she would often say how she had buried a lot of those emotions. And that, so, so there were a lot of things going on for her. There was the code, right? And just being raised to not talk, you know, and to not tell details because that's a survival mechanism, you know what I mean? Like, it's not about trying to be a gangster or not. It's about like, keep your fucking mouth shut and then nobody's gonna like come up and get at you because you fucking run in your mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's just a basic, basic rule, right? And I feel like even though it was all these years later and she's a grown woman and she's at a different place in her life, it still is hard for any person to talk about their traumas, you know what I mean? And, And sometimes, you don't even realize that it's trauma, but as you start talking about it and you feel your body and you feel yourself getting hot or you feel yourself getting emotional, you real you remember, oh, right, this was not a great time. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think she was very conscious of, you know, man, like this shit ain't entertainment like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, obviously it's, it is, but it's not really like, and we, we always try to, treat it with the utmost respect and delicate touch because these are people's lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I, I, I think Rob, you, you, you always said some really nice things about just how you, how you felt she came across and things that she was going through at the same time. But I would say she definitely has said a few times, like, yeah, this seems like therapy. You know what I mean? Like she yeah. said it. I think I'll just end it with that. Like for like, I think anytime you put a camera in front of somebody, it is therapy. You know, when you if they're talking about themselves, inevitably, um, and especially someone like Deb, which like Rashidi said, like the first time we went out to Atlanta, like we didn't really get to shoot that much because we were on her time, and she's you know everybody's feeling each other out. You know what I mean? And I will say that I'm, I I want to just give a big up to like our team because I think we put like with Rashidi and Malcolm, like 
even down to the crew we hired, man, you know, we knew these situations. So we tried to put people together with us that were cool. And you know what I'm saying? No one's going to say nothing stupid in the room. Um, but yeah, it was definitely. And that's, man, my wife fell in love with Deb. Like women love Deb, man. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like my, that, like, like my friend Daisy, like, you know, these are people like her story. I mean, that woman's been, I told her, man, somebody's got to make your life story. I think she's going to work on a book and like, yeah, yeah. That's just, it's classic. It's, it's, and, and she's a survivor, man. All these people are survivors, you know? Yeah. I'll say one thing about this. The last thing I'll say about <clears throat> the people that we filmed, I never forget. Okay. Besides Haitian Jack, I have a friend who lives in New York and we were texting and he was like, the scary thing is I never heard of these people. And I said, that's not scary. That's on purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the series is so successful because we give you the door. Right. Give you the door to them, you know what I mean? And we treat them respectfully. And I think, you know, that's why you guys are responding to it, I believe. It's, you know? it's so funny to see, like, these tough motherfuckers. Like, these, they've been through so much, right? Like, it's it was crazy to see how hurt they were when they were betrayed. You know, even with Bimmy yeah. and Waka Flocka. How they, and it's like, they can't even react. They have to walk away and just, like, end it. Because, you know, I, I don't know if it's some, some street shit. It's like, I can't. I don't want to take it to another level, so I just got to end it. I got to take the L, and we got to we just got to cut it from here, because it's like I, I, I don't even I can't even talk about this. I don't even know how to talk about this with you. We just end it and we leave it at an L, and you know you're my nephew. You know Bimmy's like basically like you know I'm gonna walk away from this, like you know, and, right. and even with all the artists that betrayed uh, Deb, it's like she's just like you know I only went after French. But it's like, yo, I just walk away from this because in the end, it's like, I don't want my business all out there and I don't want to do something that I'm going to regret later or some shit. You know what I mean? I thought out of everyone, the hardest nut to crack or like to get to open up would have been Bimmy. It seemed like it's it seemed like he had he didn't say much. But when he said something, it was like it was like real shit, you know, but he just seemed like and maybe I'm wrong. He maybe seemed like the, the person that would like was the toughest nut to crack pause. But then. But once he started talking, you couldn't like he wouldn't shut the fuck up. He would just keep going on and on. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? I feel like Bimmy understood the moment. You know what I mean? Like Bimmy's experienced a lot of things, and he's been he's been equally in the streets and at the heights of hip hop. The thing I appreciated about him was how much he just understood the moment. He was like, "Whatever you need, Rashidi," right? Because I get what you're doing. You know what I mean? Everybody didn't necessarily get what we were doing until they saw it. You know, mm -hmm. he got it immediately and really was incredibly encouraging and just great throughout the process. Not like other people weren't, but I'm saying he in particular, for me, like our chemistry together, like we just vibed. You know what I mean? It's like that when you meet people and, yeah, yeah. you know, different personalities work, some don't, whatever. Me and him really, really connected. And the thing that I loved about him was that he understood what I was trying to do. Like he understood how big it could be. He understood how important it was for him to give of himself and to tell these stories because we were making history. You know what I mean? Like he didn't see it like other people. I had so many people, man. So many people in the industry just would not fuck with us and give us interviews, man. They were really? fucking. So they yeah. just they just didn't feel like <laughs> like they like, didn't like Kevin Lyles. Kevin Lyles didn't want to give you no, interview? no, not Kevin Lyles. Kevin no? Kevin was down. It just didn't work out with Kevin. Okay. Um, I I think 
people just, they didn't know what we were doing. You know what I mean? They, they right. heard what we said we were doing and then they made up their mind what that sounded like to them. And it sounded like maybe some fuck shit to them. Right. You know what I mean? Or maybe it sounded like it wasn't going to be on the level, you know, but it was like, nah, motherfucker, like this is on the level. Like I'm, I'm, I nor anybody I fuck with, we're not really playing games out here. We're not doing whack shit, you yeah. know? And, and to yeah. me, that's what was hard for me. Just, I've been in this business for quite a while and I know a lot of people. And so it, it kind of sucked when I couldn't get the interviews that I wanted, right. but I got the interviews that I needed and I got the people who were really in my corner, like Dr. Dre, they showed the fuck up for me. And, and I, I, I can't ever thank him enough. Him, mm -hmm. Snoop, all, all the people that showed up, you know, it, it was, uh, it was great. We, we always said while we were making it, Hey, we're going to talk to whoever we need to talk to. Some people, they, it just didn't work out. And maybe that's not, this wasn't for them at this time. You know what I mean? After, I got a question. After you finished filming and you showed the, um, the documentary to all the key players, did, was everyone satisfied? We showed, we showed it to them sometimes throughout the process. Like at one point we had just done so much. <laughs> we had more interviews to get. Like I had to show yeah. them something so they could just trust me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So they mm -hmm. could see what it was and really understand what we were trying to do. And was there a level, was, was there, sorry to cut you off. Was there a level of frustration when you maybe were like, oh man, we didn't get this. And then you hit them up and contacted like, can we shoot again? Can we shoot again? And they were just kind of like, yo, like, what are y'all doing? Where you kind of had to like show them something or no, it was, it was another thing. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, when you have a vision, like if you think about Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And he's talking to you about Apple and these computers and all this shit that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, like, or, or I remember when the internet first came up, I remember like, I think Damon Dash has a cousin or something that was like heavy in the, on the internet at the time. I remember meeting him and I remember hearing him talk about the internet and just being like, I don't know I don't. what I'm talking about. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know what you're saying. I feel the passion. I know I should know. You know what I mean? It's 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 kind of like that. It's like know? when motherfuckers mentioned NFTs to me. I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, good for you. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> right. Every day, every day I feel like I'm losing money. You know, I'm like, fuck. I don't understand this. Maybe I should give them my money because I've, you know what I mean? But I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I um, would say like I, there wasn't a lot of crooked. There wasn't like we we had it pretty together. There wasn't a lot of like oh we got to go back and keep bothering these right. people. You know what I'm saying? like like we he, he had, they, you know we had a lot of like other producers and writers and stuff that worked with Rashidi as well, and it was a big team effort. So there wasn't it was it was done well. It was done like we when they did the cut. But you know I think pretty much everybody loved what they saw when you showed it to them, right, Ra? Rashidi? Yeah, yeah. No, nobody had any problems. I would say. The one thing that Jack suggested was that we, because we were talking about the case, the sexual assault case, mm. and he yeah. was like adamant that we talk to Tupac's lawyer. You know what I mean? He was like, y'all need to talk to Tupac's lawyer, da, 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 da. And we reached out to him. We got him on the phone. We talked to him the whole shit. He just wasn't fucking with it. He was like, nah, I don't, I'm not, no. You didn't want to go I'm on I'm not going to talk about this on camera, certain roads we went down and and to try to basically tell the best story that we could tell, not from a place of 
anybody trying to or being able to control their story i think they they were all great with that like understanding that we had to tell the the story from as, as we saw fit but nobody nobody was mad in fact i watched i showed jack an episode just me and him and maybe one more person i think or maybe it was just me and him i can't remember but i got to watch his face on zoom while he was watching it <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was on pins and needles, as you could imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Because my my biggest, my goal was to get to the end of this show and not have the phone calls after it drops. Right. You know what I mean? And I would say, I would say, I'm saying the negative phone calls. I would say one of the highest praises that we got is um, Jimmy Hinchman reached out and really Sent, sent me a message and said, man, thank you for treating my story with respect. Like you didn't make me look like a fucking monster. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it's like, we just, again, we were just trying to be respectful and like humanize everybody, man. Cause like what you don't understand is being in someone else's shoes. You're not in their fucking shoes. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what decision you would make. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, that was something that was important to us. Did you did you have to speak to a lawyer at all uh, to like just go over certain footage or certain elements and just be like, yo, this ain't incriminating, right? I'm not. We're not incriminating anybody or any shit like that. Yes, okay. we have. Um, Lightbox has an attorney that would review cuts, and they would respond with whatever notes they felt we should be concerned with. Wow. So was there like certain scenes or footage or? segments that you were like, yo, we got to take this out because the shit motherfuckers are going to get in trouble or you already had that in mind. You know what I'm saying? No, I think, I think people were very, um, well, some of the stuff, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, statute of limitations maybe has, has passed, but then others, but they, they were good. They knew what to say and what not to say. Basically that's the easiest way to say it. They knew, I think they were all aware of how to protect themselves. I was going to say exactly um, to answer that too. Like Rashidi, if you remember, I, you couldn't make, I, w- I was joking. That could have been a promo for the show. There were at least for each person, one moment or two moments where they literally were on camera. were like, I'm not going to talk about that. I can't speak on that. And then just kept it moving. You know what I mean? So yep. like, I was like, that could be a dope trailer with just everybody. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was so, interesting. But for the most part, everyone was 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 happy with what you guys did. Yeah, one thousand percent. Everyone, I think everyone involved is very proud of it. You know, yeah. they felt like their story was told with respect, and um, they felt like the series was done at a at a a level of sophistication and quality yeah. that they were proud of. And then you know, we were on this amazing platform of FX and streaming on Hulu and billboards in New York and time uh, yeah. um, in LA and Hollywood and Times Square on, on the, on the marquees and everything. You know what I mean? So it's like, it felt, it felt like what it was. It was special, man. It's yeah. super special because to like, really think about it, man. Like we did not sell this series with any stars or celebrities attached like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we really told the story of people from the streets on a super high platform of FX, man. Like that's fucking, nobody's done that before, man. You know what I'm saying? Like how difficult was that to be? How, like how many meetings and pitches did you have? Like what, you know, before you sat down with FX and you know what I think? And also I say this too, because FX, like I, I don't think it's a coincidence that FX has snowfall, right? 
which is focused on, you know, the 80s crack epidemic starting in Cali and L.A. And it just goes so perfectly with, you know, accompanying Hip Hop Uncovered, this docuseries, because it's such like the 80s crack epidemic, you know, it birthed like, I mean, it's it's tragic. It's it's just like horrific what it did to the community, but it birthed the drug dealer. Right. And this image of a drug dealer that's still significant to this day in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? The gold chain, the the fly ass car, the gear, the flossing, the women. That's still that image of the drug dealer that people consider as the rapper now is still prominent to this day. And it all came from that era. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, you know, drug dealing happened way before the crack era. Yeah. But as far as hip hop is concerned and the iconography of like that dude in your neighborhood that like people looked up to because he had the freshest shit. That's definitely the crack era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like. And the way it exists, it's odd actually how much it still exists in the music now. You it's know crazy. what I mean? Because it's crazy. You think about it, you think about it, that level of drug dealing can never really happen like that again. You know what I mean? Like there's too much technology, there's too many cameras everywhere, there's too many people with phones and cameras on there. Like people talk, like it, it just, that era is a bygone era. But that visual, has stuck with us for some reason, even though it's probably nowhere near as profitable. Yo, let me put it to you like this. You know something I've been thinking about? I've been thinking a lot about drug companies, right? Thinking a lot about what's going on today and how big drug companies became and how they had reps that go into hospitals and tell the doctors, hey, here's this new drug. Here's this new drug. Here's this, you try this, right? And it's like, fuck, man, I feel like the pharmaceutical business looked at how crazy successful the crack era was and was like, we're already in the drug business. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do this shit. Wow. <laughs> how you like that, Rob? I'm the going business, in there. Like a business <laughs> model almost, right? <laughs> another level, Rob. Yeah. Baby, I love it. I love it. I almost like the streets created a business model for yeah. the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, I mean, really think about it. You know, the Oxycontin, you know, all, all that stuff that's going on. It's like they found a legal way to that's get America strung out and make this fucking bread. Wow, that's pretty. That's I didn't deep. think about that. You <laughs> <laughs> reinforced Rashidi. My whole thing, which was I always say it in different interviews, like how everything starts from the streets. Now you took it even to the pharmaceuticals. You know, yeah. Talk about like moonshine, man. Like my, you know NASCAR. Right. That's from bootleggers. You know what I'm saying? Like all this stuff. It always in all the genres, man. The yeah, really- and now we're seeing it with the marijuana industry. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And we've yeah. yet we've yet to see like. We've yet to see how corporate America is going to handle the marijuana industry, and it's starting to really go nuts here in Vegas because wait, Vegas, oh, big time. Vegas has the weed lounges that are about to open now. So now we're going to see a nightlife that incorporates weed for the first for the first time in America. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going to take Amsterdam to a completely different level. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm talking like weed festivals with Drake. Some crazy shit, you know, like, <laughs> like, like we're hearing, I'm hearing crazy shit. Jamie, did you want to ask about the, um, oh, yeah, I wanted to know, like, did you guys, how much leftover footage you guys have of all of this? Cause I'm sure, I mean, to jam pack it in six, seven hours, is kind of tough. And I know, you know, even from doing this podcast, we have sometimes uh, two hours and we shrink it down to 45 to an hour 15. So I just wonder like what was left out. 
and how much was left out. <laughs> will we and will we ever see it? Some of yes, it. <laughs> yes. Do you want to send it to Dropbox? Dropbox link. Let us know. Yeah. That's <laughs> Only, got, oh my hey. god, I would love that. I would love. I would no, love a Dropbox that. link. <laughs> <laughs> Dropbox link, OnlyFans, whatever you want to do, Man, I'm supporting. I think, Patreon. I think we got a business, Rashidi. I think we got private screening business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just want to tell you that if I gave you guys the raw footage that was left over, like oh, you, there's man. just not enough time to look at it. You would never be able to look at it all. Like we got, it's a lot of shit we shot, man. Wow. It was, it was, yeah. it's, it's, it was heartbreaking for me to think about how many interviews we did and how much was left on the cutting room floor because it just didn't fit into what we were mm -hmm. talking about or whatever. There's so many people gave us so many wonderful interviews, man. And it's just the nature of what we do is obviously you can't use all of it. Do you know what I mean? It wouldn't mm -hmm. be as entertaining or as uh, whatever, as yeah. effective as it is if you just let people run on and run on or you took this detour over here. But my, for the way my brain works, I'm always down for the detour. I'm like, oh, yeah. let's go over here, you know? But we, we yeah. had a great team uh, in post that just was def constantly stopping me from doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Was there arguments like, yo, we gotta take this part. No, it needs to stay. No, let's use this instead. How, like, how long was that process? Like, to have the final, you know, six episodes on the table. Well, well actually, also, like, and also, was there a certain thing that you had to fight for? That you really had to fight to keep in, in into the show or into an episode that, that the network or maybe some of the producers didn't agree with uh, other producers? Jamie, to answer your question first, the way the process worked was um, there's politics and everything, right? And so, you know, this is what happened to me. Pers I'll tell you my personal experience, right? I feel like at some point you're watching so many cuts all at the same time of different episodes that it all starts to bleed together. And you're like, was this an episode two or was that? I was constantly fucking that up. I'd be telling people, oh yeah, such and such and such. And they'd be like, no, that was in episode three. I'm like, oh shit. You know what I mean? Like, so that's constantly happening. And as a result of that happening, sometimes shit goes missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that used to be in a cut and now it's not but you don't even know, you don't even remember what cut you're looking at. It's, it's gone now, or do you think it's still there? And then you find out later, oh wait, no, that not only is that gone, it's been gone. It's just like the process mm -hmm. is this really heady process that things slip in and out of cuts. And only if you really, really, really want it or remember it, do you say, wait a minute, this thing is missing that happened maybe two or three times, you know, mostly, you know, things were moving fast and a lot of those, it, you know, although I'm the director, you know, there's a whole team of people in post and a lot of heavy lifting was done there and people would make decisions on what even felt right sometimes. And sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. And when we catch it and say, isn't such and such missing, then they put it back in or, Sometimes they were right, you know, and it, and it didn't need to be in there because it was a it was a detour off of the main thing that we were talking about. Crooked, your question about if there's something that we fought to get in to, to, to keep in, 
nothing, nothing, I don't want to say nothing major, but I would say one thing that we fought to put in in episode six, and when I say fought, I mean, we're really, it's not like we're fighting the network. We're just amongst ourselves. FX was super, super amazing to work with. I've been told I'm never going to have this experience again. How, (laughs) you know, they were, they were very creator friendly to us. You know what I mean? And, um, I think the, the, the main part was in episode six, Big U was pretty adamant about these kids. You know, I, I actually spoke to him this morning and he was telling me um, on Friday, he's going to a graduation to one of the kids that's on the Zoom with him at the end of episode six. You know, there's yeah. all these kids that he's, he's through his football program and through being involved in the community, he sort of supported and helped get through college. So one of those kids is graduating on Friday and he's going out to, to that graduation or whatever. So it's like, that was something that was adamant to him. And, and because it was important to him, it was important to me too, because we're trying to tell the full story. It's like, nobody is 1000% a fucking monster. You know, everybody has sides to them and their story. And mm-hmm. I think with Big U, it was great to see just even in my own personal experience, let alone in the, in the, in the series. But like that dude is really out there with the community like that. You know what I mean? Like he really, I seen him, I was at his house one day and I remember somebody knocked at the door and it was like these little kids from the neighborhood and they just came over to fucking play video games on his PlayStation or whatever. Like (laughs) they just came through these little ass kids. And then one of them left. Maybe he had two PlayStations. One of them was like, ah, something, something. He fucking sent one of the kids with the PlayStation. Take that shit. You know what I mean? And then his mom, that kid's mom came back and was like, brought it back. Like, nah, you can't, you can't. You know what I mean? Like, that's real community. That's great. You know what I mean? And he wound up, you know, the kid wound up keeping the PlayStation. But my point is that there are sides to all of us, right. you know what I mean? And and it's not, you know, a, a guy like him, he's having to overcome this reputation that has followed him for his whole life. And he's having to reinvent who Big U is by telling his truth and showing you, yo, man, I really am about Crenshaw's loss. Like, I'm really fucking over here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I honestly think what y'all did was was a masterpiece. And it's actually, it's comforting to hear that everyone loved, like everyone involved, like all the OGs loved it as, as much as uh, as we all did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I kind of want to segue to Rob, who maybe had the opposite experience with the Tribe Called Quest documentary <laughs> that you were involved in. And you did the cinematography for Beats Rhymes Life, the, the Tribe Called Quest documentary. And I don't know if you guys remember, but in that documentary, which is another documentary I fucking love, and I think it's very important in hip-hop history, wildly important in hip-hop history, but Q-Tip was really against the, the, the final cut of that documentary, right, at the end. I'm sorry, Rob, before you answer, <laughs> are you saying, uh, uh, Crooked, does Rob have two in your top five? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, I think so. I think By so. the way, very <laughs> I'm very yo, proud. let me tell you, it's hard to impress Cricket with yeah. anything. 
Yeah. Oh, really? Rob, you are the fucking kick tonight to this guy. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. that's no Robert Benavidez. I, I, I want to I want to say this like I'm not I'm not impressed, especially you like you know anything that comes out re- in recent like you know in the last ten whatever so years you know it's just but but this to me was like really brought me back kind of like to my childhood my earlier days of just like you know feds magazines all of the beef dvd tapes you know like all of this shit it just came back like yo like all of this shit you know it's like and the whole time i'm it, it just it just you know what i'm saying it just like all these questions i had you know the and the tribe called the tribe called quest documentary was the same thing it's one of those things where like oh my god i had all these questions and i kind of was at the end of it i was like Damn, did I really want the answers though? Like I didn't want, I yeah. didn't want that, you know. At the end, I, mean, I, w- I will tell you this, Crooked. I mean, and 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 I appreciate that, and I'm very proud of that as well. You know, I mean, you know that that's almost like ten years. I think we just celebrated ten or eleven years now. Yeah. The time flies by. All I can tell you about that is basically like I always open up that conversation, and it, again, it's like the you know we set out to make a documentary about one of the most important rap groups ever. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. And during the making of it, we discovered that the two main guys couldn't stand each other. That's life, bro. Like, and how are we, you know, the film is happening. I would tell you that, I would say that, and to the listeners, I don't believe that it was, I don't believe that Q-Tip was against the cut. I think that it's very personal movie. You know what I mean? And wasn't, you know, no disrespect to VH1. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't the behind the scenes. It wasn't like a fluff piece. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it just organically happened like that. You know what I mean? And I think that that was, you know, hit close to home. You know, I think that everybody, and I think at the end of the day, I think that Q-Tip is appreciative of that, of that film. You know what I mean? Like, you know, let, let's keep it 100. You know what I mean? Like before Rappaport came along, I don't know who was knocking on the doors to make that movie. You know what I mean? When you have a movie made about your life, that's a pretty big deal, you know? Yeah. And like I said, it was just a relationship and they made peace with each other, you know, uh, rest in peace, Fife. I think we just celebrated the anniversary. Not maybe, it was like, maybe like two weeks ago, something no. like that. At the end of the day, like that was a thing between Rappaport and Q-Tip and it just got, it got in a bad place. There was Twitter, there was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. it was a messy thing and it was unfortunate, you know, got more attention to, to the film in that way. But yeah, yeah. I think it was just, you know, you're holding up a mirror. You know what I mean? You're holding up a mirror. And sometimes people don't like that. You know, that's that's what I got to say about that. But it was a very honest film. And the, the intent was never, and I don't think it plays like that, but everybody yeah. has different opinions about it. I just, I think it's amazing that you guys are involved with these, these projects that, you know, that are so... They're going to be part of hip-hop history to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I was kind of thinking about it. Like, you know, you were in an interview, Rashidi, um... And you were saying, like, you know, we're like mercenaries, right? You guys, you're a director. You guys, a cinematographer. You guys are moving around from project to project. You don't know if you're going to have 20 projects in the next year or if it's going to be a little slower. And it's like you don't want to say no to any project. But then you get something like this, one of those rare moments where you have something that kind of, like, that touches your soul. Like, that is, like, a big part of your life and then you get to be a part of it. And it's like a dream project, you know, I'm assuming it's a dream project and it's just so rare. And it's like, you know, it's such a great thing. And it's, you know, I'm very happy about your involvement and the outcome of the project and everything, you know? Well, I want to thank you guys for providing us with the platform um, 
to talk about something because you guys are us. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we made the film mm -hmm. for people like you, you know, and people like uh, all the people that have gravitated to, to the series, you know, people who have who understand these characters and can relate to them. I feel like what this project has shown me as a filmmaker is the best shit you can do is make your own shit. You know what I mean? Like nobody brought, this didn't come through my agents at CAA. This didn't come through, this isn't like we built this shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we built it and we took it to the highest that we could take it and we made it happen. And that shit to me is hip hop. That's like hip hop 1000%. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is us and we want to tell our stories and like, we're going to be undeniable and this is what you know what i mean that there's an energy to the to the culture and the music that a lot of us respond to and 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 what it is is sort of an underdog a underdog energy like we've all been underdogs at some point right yeah and we've mm -hmm. all struggled to try to win and 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 mm -hmm. figure out our lives and like make it mean something and do something special and so for me my biggest the biggest gift that I gave to myself was saying yes when sometime in my mind I was like, I don't know if I wanna do street shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I was so far removed, like I haven't my my life is just different than it was when I was in my twenties. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In my teens. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've actually I've actually built the life that I, I wanted for myself and my kids. You know what I mean? And so to me, all of this is a reflection of the beauty that hip hop has provided so many people yep. and and I'm just proud to have been a part of something that is basically like our love letter to the culture. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it just means a lot. And, and I'm glad that you guys have this platform and you guys feel as, as strongly about the series as, as you do, you know, thanks for yeah. having us. No, no uh, doubt, man. You know, I have a question before we go. I'm not sure if you're going to leave now, but it's for Vashidi. I read that you did a, um, you travel with earth, wind and fire. Which is like one of my favorite R and B groups of all time, and you did a, you traveled with them, you documented them, and you're supposed to do some type of documentary, but it never happened. Wow! If you if you could talk about this, I don't know. Yeah, I could talk about that. I mean, Earth and Fire are legends, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, yeah. I, I feel. Thank you for bringing that up. I feel so privileged to have hap have been able to spend time with those guys. And I, I got to spend time with Maurice also. Before I was about to ask you, was this before he passed away? Yeah, well, the tour, he was alive, but he wasn't on the tour. He wasn't touring at the time. Uh, two years before I toured with them, I did a few studio sessions with, like, them and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and, and got to spend a little bit of time with Maurice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it's one of those things where it's like to be in the room with greatness, you just yeah. really appreciate the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And... And now we're like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years later. And I'm literally like was on the phone with Verdine maybe two days oh, ago wow. yesterday. Like I'm talking to Verdine White on the yeah. telephone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. And like, you know, I used to sit at my grandmother's house and just look at the um, the album covers of Earth, Wind & Fire. Yeah, man. And listen to it obsessively with my cousin. And so for me to be able to have traveled the world with that band, and see how they move crowds with their music in on all these different continents. The one that sticks out is um, we were in South Korea 
Mm-hmm. We're in South Korea, man, and it was like kids in the front row. Like they was uh-huh. like 19, 23, like they was young. I couldn't understand it. I was like, mm-hmm. how are these youngsters clamoring for Earth, Wind and Fire? They weren't even here right. when the shit was out, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it just speaks to the idea of the power of music and the, the, the beautiful opportunity that musicians have to touch people's lives and to possibly make a classic. You know what I'm saying? Like when you make mm-hmm. classic records that just are the soundtrack to people's lives, you've done it at a high level. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I I can't say enough about those guys. They, um, they showed me what legends look like on tour. They showed me what black men look like, professional black men moving mm-hmm. around cities. Mm-hmm. And like, it was like clockwork, bro. And we were staying at the Four Seasons, and I got my own room, and it was like, I was like, damn, we really, you know what I'm like we really out here, you know? What yeah. I mean? It was it was amazing. It's just a beautiful gift to life, man. Um, as far as the doc, I was uh, I sort of brought it up to Verdine the other day. I was like, man, I don't know why we're not doing this. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? And he was like, hey, he's like, yeah, you know what, Rashidi, I got this. Uh, I got this binder of uh, some things, some ideas I've been writing down. Why don't you come over? You know, why don't you come by? And I was like, hell yeah, I will come by. You tell me, come by. You can show me what's in your binder. You could tell me a million stories. Like I just, I just want to soak it up and and figure it out. You know, I'd be so. That'd be amazing, man. Yeah, wow, super amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there, there hasn't been a documentary, like a definitive documentary on them, has there? Or? There, there was one that came out in either 2000 or 2010, okay. but it wasn't. Um, I, I, I don't even want to say what it wasn't. I don't remember where it was released, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. is something. But it's not. It's not my vision. Let me explain to you what my vision is and how I feel about those guys. Right? Yeah. I feel like my whole life, I've grown up hearing about how awesome the Rolling Stones are. And the Rolling Mm -hmm. Stones are awesome. And Mick Jagger is awesome. And he's a rock star. But fucking Verdeen White is a rock star. Earth, Wind & Fire are the fucking legends of legends, bro. Like, you can't front on them. And so my vision is to blow that shit out. Like, I don't know if you saw how um, the Tina Turner, there's a Tina Turner doc out. I I did see that on HBO. Mm -hmm. It's like they deserve that level mm-hmm. of praise. You know, yeah. you want to talk about giving people their flowers. And I think it's very appropriate to our doc. You know, Rob sort of touched on it earlier. It's like, since we made our doc, you know, Jalil from Houdini died, DMX died, yeah. Black mm-hmm. Rob, you know, Woe is the first song we play in episode one. Right. Like, like, bro, like we trying to tell y'all like, yo man, we sitting on some history, man. It's important for y'all to like, not just let this shit pass by and motherfuckers die. And we didn't really appreciate who they were or what they did. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to add to that because it's true. Like now you're hearing that. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Giving people their flowers now, you know what I mean? Like we got to do more of that. And I will tell, say, Crooked, and and, and 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 again, thank you guys for having us on, you know, your platform and us as like, you know, I'm older now, man. Like I got into history more, you know, and like films like, you know, the Tripod Quest or our series, you know, Hip Hop Uncovered, you know, I look at them, you know, 
they're like time capsules. You know what I mean? These are historical documents. Like I literally, we can go to sleep knowing like, man, bro, I was part of a historical document that will live on past me for future generations. And I think in an information society that we have where everything is going so fast, I mean, we're all guilty of it. You know what I mean? Doing three things at the same time. It moves so fast that these stories can't not be told. Just like the earth, wind, and fire, like everybody, you know what I'm saying? And and um, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a documentary, where it's a short film, like we got to make them and we got to keep, you know, we got to we got to leave that legacy behind. And that's the that's because what else is there, man? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can't take yeah. it with you. But, you know, like all, like like he's saying, like all these other people, man, these other contributors. And it's exciting. It's exciting time. I hope that with more of these platforms opening up and the success of like our series, you're going to see that more. But, you know, like. We got to keep the history alive. Yeah. (laughs) Yo, uh, before we go, I have one kind of small question, but not a small question. Like, how difficult is it to get music cleared for a project like this? Because I always feel like it's a fucking nightmare uh, clearing music. And I I heard a story with Bimmy on on some some podcast talking about issues with Jay-Z. You guys wanted to clear music with Jay-Z. And um, I guess there was a scene where Bimmy was saying that uh, Jay-Z and Kevin Lyles were making a bet on if the Slick Rick, uh, the art of storytelling album was going to flop or not. And uh, and I think Jay wanted that scene out of the documentary, of the docuseries. And then Bimmy was like, yo, we had to take a L so we could we had to take that scene out so we could clear the Jay-Z <laughs> shit. You know what I'm saying? Yo, is Bimmy out here telling family I'm trying to keep my face straight and I can't. I'm like, oh shit, he, I guess he didn't like that. Um, it's amazing that we got a Jay-Z record. It's not easy to get, you know, yeah. he doesn't clear everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when we talk about politics, let's just be real. Politics is a part of life. We can't avoid it. It's a part of, a part of this industry. I want to say, just so you have this to use as as in your cut, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny okay. whether that's <laughs> 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 You know, I mean, these are all relationships, right? Like, right. seriously, like, these are all relationships. People are making calls. They're getting to Jay-Z to say, can you get this? Can we use this record? We really want to use it. Yeah. And maybe he has um uh concerns. Maybe he has a concern. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and maybe and maybe he remembers the story differently. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know what I mean? But I know that um in terms of getting music, it's very expensive. And, you know, we did a really good job with the money that we had. Right. And it's like anything and anything you make, it always feels like there's never enough money. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. And, you know, we all just do the best that we can do to, to make the any project as great as it can be. You it, know what I mean? So it, it always seems like an afterthought kind of like because we always like whenever we see a project and we see a song or music or we think of the music that's involved, we always kind of think, well, like, oh, it's never really a factor, but it's actually a big factor in a lot of. In a lot of projects, it's like it makes or breaks or it changes everything about the vision of something, right? It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And and the producers that really understand the power, you know, and yeah. like, like me, 
I'm never gonna, I'm gonna always go for even more money. I thought we had enough money. We all thought we had enough money until we started getting those bills. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> I was like, fuck, really? Yeah. This song is $70,000? And I'm using man. it for like seven seconds? Yeah. That's crazy, but that's really it's you know it's what it is sometimes. So <laughs> it, it was um, it was the reason why when you had a Jimmy Cozier, you had a, a scene about Jimmy Cozier, right? With Haitian Jack finding Jimmy Cozier and making that uh, Jimmy Cozier record. Remember that record? Uh, yeah. She's all I got. She's all I got. And you guys only used the acapella, and I was wondering, did they only use the acapella because they didn't want? You know what I'm saying? Was there a reason they only used the acapella? <laughs> so. <laughs> We used the acapella because I think it was just cleaner. Focus, yeah, focus the on music. the voice. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that story was about his voice and that's why we used it. Okay. But mm-hmm. man, when I tell you, there's also a thing called fair use, right? Mm-hmm. Which is you can use a certain amount of a song because it's a public song. If you use as little as possible of the song, maybe you don't have to pay for that song. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like that wasn't ideal that wasn't you know sometimes that worked out for us creatively sometimes it didn't but that was definitely a part of our approach and post Mm. and you literally have to do it like you'd spend two or three million dollars on music if you didn't find some other approach you know i I think that's also one of the reasons why like you know i talk with my boys about this i think it's also one of the reasons why there hasn't been a legitimate either movie or docu-series or anything or TV show about DJs because music is such a big factor in the DJ world. It's like, how are you going to clear this music for that shit? You know what I mean? I, I, I have a friend and maybe it'll come out. Joey Garfield. Shout out to Joey Garfield who made a film about beatboxers. It's called the human, the history of human beatbox breath control. That's mm-hmm. the title. Never could get it released because the music rights are in the hundreds of thousands. You can, yeah. It might they might try to do it at a beatbox festival, but yeah, the music is no joke, man. Yeah, the music yeah. Is- uh, it's been the biggest hurdle, but I mean, you guys did an amazing job. It's a masterpiece. Top five, I'll put it. You know what? Top three. Top three. Top three. Yo. <laughs> top three. Yo. It's up. You know, no pressure, crooked. No, hey, no, crooked. No. no pressure, bro. <laughs> let it be real. You know what I mean? Please yeah. don't let it. You know. No, I see. Oh, I see you getting passionate. I see the Haitian Jack coming out on you sometimes during this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting shivers. I was like, "Oh shit, this is getting Haitian Jack right now, right now." <laughs> no, but yo, I mean, I can't say enough about this. Everybody, if you love hip hop, if if you know about it, if it's been a part of your life, and I always say this all the time, and I'm glad you said this earlier, Rashidi. You know, hip hop. I think hip hop saved all our lives. Everybody in here. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a big part of our life. And, you know, it's it's not a phase. It's not something like we only love one era. We're we're a part of it. And the fact that we can make money now and we can make a living and still be a part of hip hop is crazy yeah. to me. You know what I mean? So, like, it's such an important thing. So if, if you feel the same way as us, you have to watch this document, this docuseries, Hip Hop Uncovered. I can't, you know, I can't co-sign it enough. You have to go see this. You have to see this. And it's and guys, you guys did an um, amazing job, man. I, I love yes. it. And I and I and I and I was hoping you guys would be just as amazing as a doc, and you guys are. And I and I wish I could talk to you guys for another two hours about all of this shit. But I really appreciate oh, the time you guys gave us, man. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you, you man. So much, thank, you. Yeah. thank you, fellas. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just want to make sure everybody knows it's streaming on uh, Hulu right now. Hulu, yeah. Always <laughs> streaming so you can catch it there. And um, really great meeting you guys, man. Yeah, yeah. Great pleasure. Back home, man. I felt super comfortable, and thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah. Respect. And hopefully, a bonus, a bonus uh, episode is going to come out. Well, maybe <laughs> some, some, sometime soon. John you know Mark Where- I was going to say the bonus DVD, but nobody's doing that. <laughs> so, wait, I, I heard, I heard, I heard you guys talking on another podcast. You know about Harry O getting released, and you were like, "Yo." And then it was talk about season two, and I'm like, "Yo, season two, what's good with I season mean, two? You know, <laughs> we we we're working on uh uh pitching some ideas for season two. You know, yeah. we got some ideas, some things we're thinking about. We just need to make sure that the uh, the people is with us, and they want a season two also. So, oh, we want know, it. That, we want it. Sure we, we want it, man. We want it. Season two. Season two. Throw them twos up in the comments, yeah, please, please. Season twos, yeah, for real. We, had we get that we, petition going. Yeah. Fuck that, man. Yeah. <laughs> what is season it two? Is it change.org or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, I, have, I have one suggestion, if possible. I don't know how, you know, is AZ, Alpo, and Harlem. If you guys could get those guys. Because oh. uh, Alpo and AZ oh. and, and Harlem. Listen, we're not, take, we're not taking any suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all are DJs, right? It's like, when somebody comes yeah, up and they're request, like, hey, request, no request. I feel you. That's yeah. No request, but we're going to promise you, we're going to promise you that yeah. when that season two drops, you're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah. shit, okay. Nice. You know? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. I, uh, I got too comfortable. Like, I got too comfortable. Tickets. I got too comfortable. Nah. It's <laughs> for the premiere. You know what I mean? Why know. not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Well, DJ the premiere part if you want to, bro. I'll take time. <laughs> hey. Love it. That, that, that last little premiere party, you know, it was sort of a secret, but that shit was, that shit was lit, man. We had a great time over at uh, Snoop's compound. Oh, there yeah. you go. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Y'all are all, y'all are all be invited. Nice. So don't, don't make me forget. Nice. Yeah. I remember that. That's not no Hollywood shit either. Yeah. You can, we no, got on tape. We got some tape. We got on tape. You got yeah. it. <laughs> Hey, yo, real quick, real quick. I want to plug DJ Audio One's Twitch page. Um, Twitch.tv slash DJ Audio One. All the homies have been holding his page down while he's been in recovery. All the DJs rallied together. They've been keeping his page going, DJing on his Twitch, uh, making sure that he's getting some money in because homeboy's been in recovery. And we want him to focus on his health, but not also worry about paying them hospital bills and paying for all his expenses while he's, uh, you know, recovering. Um, but the best way to really donate is to uh, send him money directly. And I want to put his PayPal up. Um, so make sure you can, you know, send him $2, $5, $10, $20, whatever you can, man. Anything helps. Um, he's one of us. He's one of, he's a DJ. And this shit could happen to any one of us and, and, um, we we gotta we gotta look out for each other. So if you want to watch this episode on YouTube or view some of our older episodes as well, you can go to youtube.com slash road podcasts, like, comment, subscribe. We post new episodes every Thursday. Every Thursday, y'all, without fail. So definitely come check out the new episodes on YouTube on Thursdays. And um <laughs> All right, y'all. Yo, thank you so much, man. Peace, everyone. Appreciate thank you. Thanks a lot, fellas. Peace, man. Pleasure. Peace. Appreciate y'all, man.